0: Well, good morning. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, how thankful we are to be able to bow in thy presence. And come before a throne of grace. Not a throne of justice or merit, but a throne of grace. Pleading the person, the obedience, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to be able to come boldly, knowing we're accepted in the beloved. Not in anything about us or anything that we've done, but in who he is and what he's accomplished for his people. And Father, we're thankful. How we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for a Savior who puts away the sin of his people. By his obedience is the only way we could ever be made righteous. By his sacrifice is the only way our sin could be cleansed away. And Father, we're thankful. Thankful for your mercy and grace in providing such a Savior. And Father, we're thankful in you, for your mercy and grace in sending forth your gospel. The gospel of your Son in, out into the world to call out your sheep to save, to feed, to comfort, to edify, to call to Christ. Father, I pray you bless us this morning as we meet to preach and hear your gospel, to open and read and study your word, to sing your praises. Father, enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Let the name of Christ our Savior be exalted and give us a heart of faith to lay hold upon him and believe him and rest in him. And, Father, what we pray for ourselves in, in this hour, we pray for our children's classes. Father, how we thank you for these little ones that you've given to us. And I pray you'd bless them, bless our teachers, and bless our children that they might learn, that you might use this as a time that you'd plant the seeds of faith in their heart. And, Father, we dare not forget to pray for those who are in times of great difficulty, they're heartbroken, they're bereaved, they're sick. We pray especially for Novi, Father, that you'd undertaken her behalf to touch and heal her body enable her to get this transplant that she needs quickly, if it could be thy will. And use it to restore her to health. And all these things we ask, Father, that we might see your glory. Show us your glory in our day, we pray. For it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake and his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> All right, our text begins in verse 57 of Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read this and then we'll come back and make some comments on it. Verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace, And went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. They found none that their stories agreed. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he's guilty of death. Then did they spit at his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? Now that is the mock trial of our Lord, where the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests gathered together and and did what they had uh, wanted to do, put the Lord to death, sentenced him to death. Now these men who were doing what they were doing under the the cloak of darkness, these men are the religious leaders of the day. I mean, you think about this, this is the best man's religion has to offer. And it's obvious as the noonday sun that they hate the lord jesus christ now i'll give them that they they tried to appear orthodox you know they wanted all this to look you know very legal they want to make sure they dotted every i and crossed every t they wanted to make it look like we followed all the right parliamentary procedure so you know it, it's legal and, but you know it's far from it it's far from it they were not interested in truth in justice they really weren't. Uh, they were more concerned with their parliamentary procedure than they were the truth, weren't they? They just wanted to put the Lord Jesus to death. That was their whole goal. These religious leaders who were so zealous of the law actively sought out people who would perjure themselves and lie on the stand to put the Lord to death, <laughs> and they found meaning. Many willing to do it. And you know why they found so many people willing to bear false witness? Because man by nature hates God. They hated the Lord too. They're willing to bear false witness, which is one of the notable laws in in their laws, I shall not bear false witness. The law that they claim to love so much, it was easy to find people who were willing to bear false witness against the Lord. But the problem was, nobody could get their lies straight. No two people could could agree in in their lies. Look over at Mark chapter fourteen. They finally found two that uh, kind of sorta, you know, agreed. It was it was it was close, but it it wasn't it wasn't exact. It was, it, they didn't really agree. But look what how Mark describes this in Mark fourteen, beginning in verse fifty six. For many bear false witness against him. But their witness agreed not together. And there rose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We've heard him say, I'll destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I'll build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. <laughs> I mean, their witness didn't even agree together. But these men are so bloodthirsty that was close enough for them to sentence the Lord to death. Now, after they violated their own law all night long, then they're going to return to their orthodoxy. You know, they're going to tell Pilate, now we can't go into the judgment hall because we'll be defiled. We can't be around this, you know, sentencing this man to death. It's, we'll be defiled and, and we'll be able to eat the, eat the Passover. You know, they tried to look so orthodox. They were so concerned with how they looked on the outside, looking orthodox and straight, but inside they were empty. God looks on the heart. And in the heart, they were empty. They're empty of spiritual life. They're empty of righteousness. They're empty of of love. They're empty of faith. They had a religion that was empty of Christ the Savior. And there he was in bodily form right in front of them. And they couldn't see him. These men who could not see, this is the Messiah. These men read... And transcribe the Old Testament scriptures every single day. I guess with the exception of the Sabbath, they didn't transcribe it, but they read it, didn't they? They read these scriptures every day. They, they these were the ones that transcribed it, and they never one time realized it. Never crossed their mind. This sounds familiar. What we're doing here sounds familiar. This is fulfilling the scriptures. This is exactly those prophecies that, that that we've been reading for years. They never one time realized it. They were so concerned with being orthodox and doctrinally straight, but they had no regard for the word of God at all. Now they said they did, but you know what they did? Same thing men do today. They pick out parts of it and... You know, make that all important because it already suits what I want to do. And they ignore the rest. These men had no concern whatsoever with the truth of God's word. As religious as they were, as, as, as much as they own copies of, of God's word, they were not interested in what it said, in the message of it, in the truth of it. And the real reason that they put the Lord to death is over the issue of His sacrifice that tells you who he is. Look here again at verse 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, he's guilty of death. And then they began to spit on him and, and beat him and mock him and so forth. But the issue that made them so angry was the sacrifice of Christ and the results of it. These men understood exactly what the Lord was saying. He, they understood he was saying He's going to be put to death. He's going to suffer and die, but he's coming back again. He's not going to stay dead. He's coming back again as the successful Savior, and he's coming to judge the earth. This time he came as a servant. This time he came as a lamb. This time he came humbled. Next time he's coming as a lion. Next time he's coming as God. Next time he's coming as the, as the judge of the earth. He's going to die, but the Father's going to raise him again. You know why he's going to come in glory? Because his sacrifice accomplished what God sent him to do, what the Father sent him to do. These men understood that the Lord was saying, "You're not going to be made righteous by all your legal, religious works. You're not going to be uh, made righteous by your by your orthodoxy and how you you know electioneered to get these leading positions in the church. The only way a sinner can be made righteous is by the sacrifice of Christ, and we know that sacrifice." got the job done. That sacrifice put away the sin that the Father laid on him. Otherwise, the Father wouldn't have raised him. He wouldn't be coming back exalted. His His death accomplished everything that the Messiah was sent to do. That's why he's going to come back in glory. And that message takes away all hope in man, doesn't it? All hope in our works, all hope in anything that we can do. That message takes away all hope that salvation is up to us, doesn't it? It's not up to man to decide what he's going to do with Jesus. We're in the hand of Jesus of Nazareth and he'll decide what to do with us. This one who's coming in in power and glory, we're in his hand. He's not in our hand. We're in his hand. He decides what to do with us. And these religionists hated that truth so much they just practically foamed at the mouth and just, they couldn't wait to try to kill him. Began spitting on him and buffing him with their hands. They blindfolded him and and hit him and said, prophesy and tell us who hit you. You know, just horrible. They hated that message of a sovereign, successful, reigning Savior. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to bow to him. Matter of fact, one day, every knee's going to bow to him. You're going to bow to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. They hated that so much they just wanted to kill him. Just they almost couldn't restrain themselves. They almost did it right there, didn't they? Just almost beat him to death. And that's the message that the flesh still hates today. The only re- reason any of us love that message is God's given us a heart to love this, this message, to love Christ and trust him, the sovereign, successful Savior. Well, all right. That's what took place this mock trial and i know everybody here sees the error in these religionists and um, i certainly hope that we can avoid repeating them but now in the time i've got left i want to preach christ to you from this passage this mock trial is the beginning of the savior's soul suffering for sin and we see who he is we see him fulfilling so many old testament types and prophecies of the messiah the first thing I see about Christ in this mock trial is he is the willing sacrifice. Now, he allowed them to take him. He allowed them to, to lead him to Caiaphas's house. And there he stands. There he stands. Now the Lord had the power to walk right out of that room. Walk right out of that house. He had the, the power to, to make it where nobody could touch him. Where like suddenly they couldn't even see him and he'd just walk away from him. He'd done it before. He had the power to do it again. He could have used his power to escape all of this suffering. He's still God, God in human flesh. He had the power to escape it, but he didn't. He stayed right there. And he did that because him staying there, him suffering and dying for his people, is the only way their sin could be put away. There's got to be a sacrifice. He's the only sacrifice that'll put away sin. So he stayed. He stayed because he loved his people and he willingly went to the slaughter. They didn't have to drag him there. He willingly went. The Lord stood there and says many false witnesses came. He stood there and listened to them lie on him for how long? Many, he heard, stand there and lie on him, accuse him of things that that he never did. Now, has that ever happened to you? I mean, the first time that you hear that happen, what do you do? No, we defend ourselves, don't we? That's not so. He never said that. He kept his mouth shut. He stood silent and never one time defended himself against these false charges. And they couldn't get their charges all together, so he had to finally give them one, didn't he? They, They couldn't do it i tell you the reason he didn't defend himself is because he's bearing the sin of his people. We're guilty of every charge they cast against the Savior. You and I are guilty. He did, he's not, but we are. And now the Lord, our substitute, is bearing the sin of his people. Our sin has now become his. And he's bearing that sin. He never defended himself because in that sense, in the, in the fact that he was made sin by his father, he was guilty. Those sins did become his sins, and he willingly sacrificed, he willingly took that sin into his holy, precious body upon the tree and sacrificed himself for it so his people could be redeemed. Look over at Isaiah chapter 53. When he did that, when he took the sins of his people and sacrificed himself for it, he fulfilled this Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, is silent. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. See, this is why he kept silent and this is why he suffered and died for the transgression of my people. The father made the sin of his elect to rest on Christ and it became his. And he stayed silent against all of those charges because he was guilty. Let me talk to you for a minute here about Christ being made sin. I don't ever remember this, even remotely being an issue or ever questioned when I was growing up, but it it is, it is an issue today. Let me talk to you about it. For some reason, people get all bent out of shape about this issue of Christ being made sin. But you know what? That's exactly what the scripture says. So, I don't know why I get mad about it. I don't know why you have to disagree with it. This is what Scripture says. Now, there's no question. People say, well, if you say Christ was made sin, you're saying Christ was a sinner. Nobody says that. Nobody. Even false prophets don't say that. Nobody's saying that. There is no question whatsoever that the Lord Jesus Christ never committed sin. Never. He's holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners. His personal holiness, his personal righteousness that he earned under the law is beyond question, It's beyond reproach. That's why they had to find so many people to lie against him. He's perfect. Now I'll tell you why this is important. Now his, his, his obedience is perfect. That's important because if our sin is going to be put away, we have to have a sinless sacrifice. He can't put away our sin if he has any sin of his own. He is the perfect sinless sacrifice that lets him take the sin of his people away from them, take it into his own body upon the tree and put it away by his pure, precious, sin-atoning blood. He's perfect. And everybody at this mock trial knew it. Everybody did. The the high priest knew it. The chief priest knew it. The, The scribes and the Pharisees knew it. That's why they sought false witness because they knew there's no true charge against this man. He's innocent. Here in a couple hours they're going to take him to Pilate and Pilate's going to spend some time with him. And you know what Pilate's going to say? I find no fault in him. He found no fault in him because there wasn't any. There was no fault in him. He's perfect. Everybody knew he was innocent. Yet they condemned him to death. They they treating him so horribly, I mean, just beating him. They did this to a man they knew was innocent. Now, why on earth would the father ever tolerate that going on, happening in his creation to his son? If that has happened to one of my children, you can bet you I'd put a stop to it. Why didn't the father put a stop to it? Because the son had been made sin for his people. And he must suffer the full consequences of that sin. And if you look back at Psalm 22, that fulfills the scriptures too. This was nothing new. God said it was going to happen. Psalm 22. Verse 6. But I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. All they that see me, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. Many bulls, these strong rulers in Israel, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. See, why did all this happen? (laughs) Because the Savior had been made sin for his people. Let me show you one more scripture Psalm 40, over a few pages in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 12, tells us why all this has happened. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, My heart faileth thee. Now how is it possible that the Savior who knew no sin, who did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth, who always did what pleased his Father, how can he say, mine iniquities? There's only one way. The Father made the sin of his people to be his. And they belonged to him. The Savior calls the sin of his people mine iniquity because the sin of God's elect was made His. At Calvary. And the Savior suffered. Everything that sin is. With the exception of the commission of it. He felt the guilt of sin. He felt the shame of sin. That's why he said. I'm not able to look up. For the first time ever. He is not able to look his father in the eye. Because he felt the guilt. And the shame. Of sin. And this transaction. Making Christ sin. It's not just a, a fine doctrinal point that uh, you know we, we like to hang our hat on and it somehow makes us different than everybody else, we want to defend this. I tell you why this is so important to you and me. This transaction, Christ being made sin for his people. If that transaction of sin being made Christ's, if that's not real, if that's not actual, then our sin's still on us. If our sin was not actually transferred to Christ, He didn't put it away. But if it was, if the sin of God's people was actually made Christ, brother, nothing can condemn you. B. Frazier, you say, they were shouting words. This is shouting words. If Christ was made sin for you, Nothing can condemn you. This is nothing to get mad about. This is something to get glad about. (laughs) Oh, Christ took the sin of his people and put it away. Now there's hope for salvation for sinners. Now there's good reason for us to preach the gospel and tell sinners, look to Christ. Oh, come to him. Believe on him. Cast your soul on him. He put away the sin of his people. He can't fail. He can't fail. Here's something else, how important this is. This, this matter of Christ being made sin to the salvation of his people. God the Father is holy and just. Now, if I know anything about the Father, I know that. Well, the Father can't put an innocent man to death. See, we were talking about this last night. You know, who, who put who put the, the Savior to death, you know? Well, the Romans did. The Jews did. But the Father did. <laughs> the Father, the Father's the one that says, I'm going to plunge the, the sword of justice into one who is my fellow. Well, the Father can't put an in man to death. That wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be holy. If Christ was not made sin and the Father killed him anyway, the Father's not just. And you can't trust your salvation if somebody's not just. <laughs> No, Christ was made sin and justice was satisfied by the death of Christ. That means if he died for you as your substitute, justice is never going to come looking for you, ever. Because Christ fulfilled it for you. As a matter of fact, it would be unjust for the Father to send you to hell. And he can't be unjust. See, this thing of Christ being made sin is the guarantee For the salvation of his people, this is this is things to get happy about. Somebody can argue about it if they all they want to, but I ain't listening to them. I'm not having none of it. Let let the pot shards of the earth strive the pot shards of the earth. This is the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. If our righteousness before God is only as true as the transfer of sin to Christ. The sin was really made Christ's. His righteousness is truly made ours. Oh, I'm done. This, this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. And since that happened, and he put away the sin of his people. This is what you can expect. He's coming again. He's coming again. And he's going to do it in justice. He's going to gather his people to himself in justice and take them to glory and be with him. That's good news, isn't it? All right, here's the second thing. When Christ died, he died for sinners. You know, Peter followed him afar off and somehow snuck his way into the high priest, chief priest's house, high priest, whoever he was. Now, Peter is somebody I can identify with. Can't you ever believe it? I'm sure it says I can identify with Peter. Peter is not afraid To shoot off his mouth. Peter is absolutely sure. I will never fall. I will never do that. And even after Peter did everything he said he wouldn't do. and Deserted the Lord. You got to give it to Peter. Now. He ought not done it. I mean he he snuck back in. He's he's following the Lord close enough. At least to get into the house of the high priest. Because he wants to see the end of the matter. Now. When the Lord told him, you're going to deny me. It might would have been better for Peter not to put himself in this situation. But this is what Peter did because he thought, I won't do that. <laughs> but it, I think the important thing here is Peter loved the Lord. He's going to fall. He's going to do it again. He's going to do and he's going to do it again later. I mean, Paul had to correct him. and Oh, he's going to do it again. But Peter loves the Lord. And he wanted to see the end of the matter. And here's another reason, a way I'm like Peter. I want to follow the Lord. I want to go into the judgment hall. I want to go to the foot of the cross. And I want to see the end of the matter. I want to follow the Lord there. And I want to see what happens. The Lord endured this mock trial. Did he do it for me? Because I'm a weak and sinful man do you endure this to put my sin away because that's the only hope i have of salvation when all these false witnesses came up against him did he really keep his mouth shut because he'd been made guilty of my sin see that's the only hope i have for my soul you know what happened when sin was placed on the savior what happened when his blood was shed What happened in those three hours of darkness when he took his blood and placed it on the altar before the Father? Did that really put my sin away? Did that really satisfy God's justice for me? See, I want to look into these things and see the end of the matter, don't you? I want to see how this thing's going to turn out. I want the Holy Spirit to take these things in Scripture and reveal them to me. So that this is what I find out. Christ is the only sacrifice for sin that there is, and I trust him. I believe him, that he is all I need to to be eternally redeemed before the Father. And if you're interested in the end of the matter, here's the end of the matter. Verse 64. Jesus said, saith unto him, thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you hereafter, shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Here is the end of the matter. When Christ suffered, he saved everybody that he intended to save. Everybody he suffered and died for is eternally redeemed. See, the only way that the Lord Jesus can return as judge of the earth is if he was raised from the dead. If he died, he's got to be raised from the dead. He's got to ascend back to the Father. He's got to be seated on the the right hand of the the Father in glory so that he can come again in power. Now, the only way the Father is going to raise him from the dead is if sin's gone. The sin that was laid on him is gone because his blood washed it away. The only way the Father is going to cause him to ascend back into heaven, the glorious homecoming, and say, sit here on my right hand that I make your enemies your footstool. The only way the Father will ever say that to him is if Christ Jesus got the job done when he suffered and died for his people. Well, he did. He did. And he tells us this is going to be the end of the matter. I don't know what's going to happen between here and then, but I know what's going to happen then. He's coming again. He's coming again in power. He's coming to gather his people to himself, and that makes my soul happy. Is that yours? All right. yours? Lord bless you.